welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, the podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I am back in Australia this week for another uh, coach to talk to. I've got Australian PGA professional Jeremy Ward has come in and have a chat to me today. Thanks for coming in, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, mate. Good to be here. I just, I just want to start by saying congratulations on um, on what you're doing with this podcast. It's awesome. It's not easy to... Um, not easy easy to put yourself out there like this, and I've been uh, I've been listening along, so it's uh, it's really good stuff. So good on you. Oh, I appreciate that. It's um, as people that have tuned into the podcast in the past will be well aware of. It's a great excuse for me to talk to coaches. So oh, absolutely, um, it's good. I, I mean, I will say this: I've um, we uh, Brent Dale. You had a guest on Brent Dale, and it's the first time you'll hear me give him a compliment. But his was, <laughs> his was very good. I like I like that conversation you guys had and listen to his his own podcast as well. So yeah, it's good stuff. Well, it's been good because I'm getting people on that are blowing up my social media feeds essentially, and um, I hadn't had anything to do with Brent prior to the podcast. So I've obviously seen him out there, out and about, but it's just it's, I'm speaking to guys that I haven't had too much contact with, which is really. Ex- exciting for me just to hear what they're doing and how they're going about it and it's just cool i'm picking ideas from everywhere to improve my own coaching which is part of the idea of doing the show i think that's what it's all about right like if we can reach out to you know to as many coaches as possible share information have a chat about what's going on in the industry what we're doing that's how we learn and grow you know like if you get stuck doing your own thing and not talking to anyone that's doing you know in a similar role it's like that's what it's all about talking to other people talking to your peers and trying to um trying to steal information and, and ideas from them you know completely agree and it's unfortunately there's some there's plenty of coaches out there that don't do that and they'll just get past i think the the people and again people that have seen the podcast the last few weeks have heard from a whole heap of recent people that have gone through the trainee program and those guys are killing it those guys are doing really good work and bringing good ideas out there into the coaching game and if you don't move forward with them you're going to get left behind yeah absolutely so quickly for those that don't know you give us a bit of your background information tell me the jeremy ward story all right. Um, so, well, I can't, I'm currently the head pro or the golf operations manager, as they call it now, at Oakland's Golf Club in Sydney, which is um, in, sort of in Parramatta or North Parramatta sort of way. But yeah, to take it back to the start, I was, um, you know, I picked up a club uh, when I was 12 years old. Um, I, I, I should say that I was a um, I was a baseballer to start off with, and um, and heavily into my baseball. And I actually wanted to play for the New York Yankees. Um, not, you know, <laughs> my dream growing up was to play for the New York Yankees, which might have been a little bit far-fetched, but it wasn't to sort of, um, yeah, to, to hold the putt on the last green at Augusta. So I played baseball at a young age quite, uh, you know, at a, re- a relatively good level. And um, I think I picked up a golf club when I was about 12, 13, that, that sort of age. And, um, you know, what, what my life looked like as a kid growing up, I was playing baseball pretty much training every single day. I was playing baseball early uh, Saturday morning, and then Dad would rush me to the golf course on a on a Saturday afternoon to get the, you know the last tea time, and we do the same on a Sunday. I'd play baseball in the morning, and then come, go and play golf in the afternoon. And it just got to a point where the old boy was just like, "Mate, we can't keep running you around. Pick one or the other." And I was like, "Golf it is." So um, I um, you know I started playing at Royal Kellyville Country Club. It's a, not there anymore, but it was a bit, yeah Kellyville, which is our sort of like Rouse Hill way. Um, and it was a bit of a dust bowl, if, if I'm being honest. It wasn't. Uh, it was a great, you know, great little members course, but it's not there anymore. And my dad drove me down to Castle Hill Country Club, 
Uh, and mate, I fell in love with that place immediately. As soon as I drove in, it was like lush and green and trees and people and all this sort of stuff. And I said, man, you gotta, you gotta get me in here. Um, and that's where it started. You know, next minute I'm, I'm a member there. I'm working, you know, like a lot of guys do. I'm working in the pro shop. I'm picking up balls on the range. You know, I'm playing in the junior pennants team, all that sort of stuff. And, um, I, I did my traineeship at Castle Hill, um, under a guy called Bruce Burrows. Um, Bruce Burrows then left and for the back end of my traineeship, David Norley was my boss who, you know, who I, who I learned a lot from, um, and, and still do, to be honest. Um, and, you know, from there, uh, you know, it took me, you know, I, I did my traineeship quite young. So I was, you know, I was like only 18, I think 18, 19 when I started. Um, so it was, it was very, very young when I, when I got into it. You know, it took me four years to graduate. I had some issues with my with my assignments, um, unfortunately, <laughs> with one of the years. So I, I got held back and I finished, um, I, I, you know, I ended up finishing. And, you know, I um, I didn't see much of a future, you know, although I love the place, Castle, I didn't see much of a future. You know, David was David was cemented there. They had a really good um, assistant pro. So I thought, oh, I'm going to leave. And, um, you know, I did a little bit of caddying on the Australian tour um just exposed myself to good players and coaches and all that sort of stuff and um had a few different jobs i won't bore you with everything that i've done but i've ended up here at oatlands doing doing what i'm doing now so it's been good it's um it's, it's a bit of a two-edged sword sometimes working at a private club as a trainee i think you can obviously it's a great experience and you learn a lot from because they're traditionally got good good head pros so you're obviously getting good information from your employer and learning some things but it generally means that once you finish your program, you've got to head off somewhere else because there is no spot for you anymore. It's not as if they're you're, they're turning over head pros every every three or four years. Those guys generally sit in there for a long, long time. They stick so, around, yeah. I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. I mean, I, I don't know. It was awesome. I, I've got opinions on where uh, where people should and shouldn't do their traineeship. Um, for me, Castle Hill, I mean, it's just perfect, right? It's a private golf club. There's a member golf club. There's a whole lot of respect for the place. Oatlands is the same. You know, I'd be interested, you know, is there a, is there a right or wrong spot to be doing a traineeship? Yeah, well, I, I did mine in the country. I grew up in the country and what I found that was fine and there was always going to be something for me to do. There was always going to be work for me when I finished my my traineeship. Um, the issue I had with that was the fact that it's very easy to get stuck in your comfort zone. Mm. Okay, I've been, I've been in the country. I've been at this course for, for a long, long time. I've got clients. I've got coaching clients. I'm comfortable. Um but I was forced, not forced, but I decided to make the shift down to the city to push myself. So let's get out of my comfort zone and do something in the city. So I think that that fact that you've had that good grounding at a private club yeah. and, and been able to step out and do something else is a good thing. It can be easy to be stuck in the same place for 10, 15, 20 years. All of a sudden, your career's half over. Yeah, and, and it's hard to get back into that sort of or, or to come into that sort of city city atmosphere. It is. So I would have thought working somewhere high profile with, with some good head pros and some good assistant pros and then shifting on to do your own thing is probably your ideal setup, I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a. I, I was a head pro at Harrington. My first head pro job was up at Harrington Waters, which is um, just sort of part – it's in between Tari and Port Macquarie up on the central coast there. Uh, sorry, the mid-north coast. Um, and, yeah, you know, I had a trainee there um, and – you know, I was you know, looking back at it now. It probably wasn't ideal for him because the, the job, those sort of country jobs, it's normally a one man show. You know, it's very rare that you need two of you in the pro shop. Whereas, 
you know, where we are now, there's there's three or four of us in there at you know at Oatlands at, at any given time of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, speak to me quickly about doing it so young, because obviously things have evolved over time. And like in the talking seventies and eighties, guys were doing their traineeships at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. Um, obviously now it's evolved, and people need you, you have to have year twelve to do the trainee program now and do that kind of stuff. So people generally are in their early twenties. You've obviously gone into it straight out of high school. Um, is that something that you would change if you had the choice to go back and maybe spend a couple of years playing or doing something different prior to starting the training program? I never wanted to be a player, so it was pretty clear for me what I wanted to do with my traineeship, so that was pretty easy. And I, I know you've spoken to other guys and the general idea is that they want to get out there and play. I, I was, um, because of the golf club that I was um, that I belonged to, there were so many good players, like unbelievable players, and I knew the level that you had to be at. So, I, you know, I, I, I was, it was pretty clear what I wanted to do. Um, I finished school and started my traineeships straight away. I was 18, um, an idiot, um, <laughs> to, to be honest, and probably still am. But, you know, I, I don't know. It was, uh, it's good that I did it so young because I got it over and done with. But, like, I, I guess, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to get a job um, sort of straight away up at, up at Harrington. And you know, I just had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was so young, so fresh. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think there is, again, I'd be interested in, you know, in your ideas. I think there is a, um, I don't know, maybe there should be like a little bit of an age limit. Like I can't imagine those guys back in the day doing it at like 14, 15. It's crazy. Yeah. But then again, I was, you know, as, throughout whole high school, I was in the shop, you know, like I was doing 20-odd hours in the pro shop in the middle of the comp and doing repairs and, and you know, and, and running the show as it is anyway. So operating the pro shop on that, but sort of on, a, on as like an assistant sort of level, that was fine at that age. But, yeah, stepping out and doing like a, you know, like a head pro gig, it's... um. At 22 or 23. Yeah, right. I was literally 23 when I got my first job. I just can't can't see myself being a head pro at twenty three. I was as I said I was stupid at twenty three. Well, yeah, exactly right. You look back at the time. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I'm I've got this covered. But like, I look at myself now as a thirty five year old and look back at Jeremy Ward as a twenty three year old and go, you you were trying to run the show there, like <laughs> you're a child. So talk me through, I'm always curious to hear about different sports and how they cross over into golf. So obviously you played other sports at a fairly high um, high standard. What was the coaching like in junior baseball back in the day? Was it was it different to the coaching that you were getting as a golfer? 100%, yeah. It was so much more structured. There was so much more time involved. There was session, you know, there was – you just had to be at certain sessions and that's what pushed me away from it. Um, politics in baseball or, you know, politics in the game and just in those team of, of um, environments were just, um, were just brutal. And I'm like, I'll tell you a quick story about how it all came about. I, um, you know, I, I, you know, I was good, but I wasn't great, but we were, we were training or trialing like tryouts pretty much every afternoon for whatever team it was. Right. And I was at go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, train, uh, play for your team on a Saturday morning, play reps on a Saturday afternoon and do something else on a Sunday. And we tried out one, one particularly, this is at the end of it, we tried out, you know, so like 10 or 15 different trial sessions for whatever team it was. I can't remember what it was. And it came down to me and one other, one other kid. And I got, I got chopped, right? <laughs> I got the axe. And I remember walking to the car, I got in the car and I just bawled my eyes out with, with the old man. And dad just said, enough's enough. You know, let's go and play golf. You love playing golf. The thing I like about 
golf and those team sports is at the end of the day when you're playing golf if you shoot the number you, you know you win the prize money it's you know what i mean but there are certain teams there's state teams and there's you know rider cups and president's cups and all that sort of stuff that you've got to get picked for and there can be some some controversy in that but you know if you shoot the number in golf you you get the biggies at the end of the day so that's what i liked about it but the, the baseball um the baseball training was just um it was so full-on at like you know it's like a 10 year old you know what i mean like it was just so structured and so you had to be on time and yeah it was it was intense i'm, I'm curious with with team sports um if you're the the quiet kid in the team that generally sits in the background and that's the kind of kid i was and um, i played some team sports as a junior as well but it can be easy to be overlooked by the coach sometimes if you're the the quiet kid that's just standing back from everything. Um, obviously, with golf, you've got your coach, you you one on one type situation. You get in that coaching. Is it easy to be over, over in that team sport to be overlooked and not get the coaching? That well, you need? I, I think so. I mean, that's just the, different personalities. You know, there was always the vibrant kid and the loud kid that was that would get you know get a little bit more attention. Um, Oh, look, I, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it. I will say though, like I, you know, for for my for the the guys that I coach now, the you know the young kids that I coach now, I try to compare it to like a team sports. So when they come, because because golf is such a social game, you know, say you say you go to school and you get to the golf course at four o'clock and you can you're going to practice from four till six thirty. Two two hours of that time might be goofing around with your friends. Do you know what I mean? So I like to compare it to team sports. I'm like, if you were playing, you know, whatever, if you if you were playing soccer for Sydney, like if you were training from four till six, you know, you, you have to be there on time or early. And you're there is there are certain things that you're going to do from four till six. Like you are training properly. And then normally, you know, you have a little bit of a goof around and a little bit of fun at the end of it. But like that's that's the sort of practice that I'm trying to get these young guys sort of a little bit more get their head around. You know what I mean? Like stop stop not so much goofing around as much, but try to be a little bit more proactive with your time and a little bit more structured with it like it would be for a team sport. It has some structure to it. It sounds like good common sense, being able to have like a like a checklist of things that you have to do in that session and work their way through it. I like 100%, it. yeah. So from a skill perspective, what kind of skills transferred over to golf from the – obviously they're, they're all hitting a ball, swinging a bat. Um, is there any crossover skills? 100%. I, I – I coach a lot of guys now and, uh, you know, a lot of guys I used to play baseball with, uh, the, there's a hand-eye coordination thing where there, there is there is crossover. I mean, at the end of the day, it's um, you're controlling a bat, you're try- controlling a handle, a racket, whatever it is. It's the same with golf. We're trying to cl- control the club face. Same with baseball. If, you can, if, you can, if somebody can throw a curveball at you and you can hit it with like a rounded bat, uh, and you can put direction on it, then that, that's obviously you've got hand-eye coordination and the skills transfer across to um to to golf like there's so many guys that i coach now that are um ex-baseballers that you can just tell they've got that little that little funky action at the top <laughs> at the top there yeah. like holding a yeah like they're holding a baseball bat and it's uh yeah it's quite cool to see but yeah there's there's, there's definitely a i think there's it's like baseball cricket and tennis do you know what i mean like they're the they're, they're the three that i see that people they're, they're high level sort of cricketer tennis tennis player or baseballer it's like there seems to be a little bit of a crossover there for sure. I'm curious on your thoughts on this because I've, I've had this chat with a few different coaches over the years, but in sports, like you said, like tennis and cricket and baseball, 
the people have got those skills, but then sometimes you put them on a golf course with a golf club in their hand and they don't transfer as well. And my theory behind it is those other sports, you haven't got time to think about it because the ball's coming over the net or coming at you quickly and it's more reactive type sport, whereas in golf you have all the time to go through the processes and play checklist golf essentially and do what you think you have to do to make the ball go go straight. So do you think sometimes people overthink the golf swing and don't just let their swing come out? Yeah. I, it's interesting that, eh? Like you, you can pet, like you would think – it's easier golf because you have more time over the board to get yourself set. You know, you can basically take as much time as you want within within the boundaries of, of the etiquette of the game. But you would think it'd be a lot easier just because you can, you know, you can set yourself up. You can basically measure how far away from the ball you want. You can make sure you go through your checklist and then hit the ball. But then that takes away that sort of, there, there's so much time thinking over the ball where it's like if you just stood up to it and just hit it, then... Uh, yeah, you you would think I don't know. You you definitely would think it, it would be easy, but it's it's just not. It's, I think the time over the ball can be a can be work work to your advantage, a disadvantage. Sorry. Yeah, so I, I I would certainly think certain personalities. Um, if we just let them, if we let those let their instinct come Take out, where they, can, where they just swing as opposed to overthinking it, it can yeah. make a huge a huge difference. But mate, you brought up an interesting thing that I didn't realize you would you, that you'd. And you'd um you'd had a little bit of experience in caddying. Talk through what caddying was like. Um yeah, it was tough. Um a lot harder than what I thought. So I, when I left Castleville, I was sort of um a little bit uh, yeah I was just in limbo. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I and I, I've always had a bit like I always wanted to do a bit of caddying, and I wanted to 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 get on the bag. And I reached out to the PGA because. There was, you know, all the events in Australia and back then the One Asia, you know, players would come over and there'd be, you know, there'd be 10 or 15 of them that would come over without caddies. So I jumped on the bag. Uh, I just put my name down and just sort of got myself involved with with um, with caddying. I, I got on the bag for, for an Asian Asian tour player and, and and was with him for three or four events over the over the Australian summer. And, you know, we were up in Coolum and the Aussie Open and a few other events. And it was... Um, it was good for me too because it's like I don't know, like the work ethic that these guys have, um, especially that this guy was Chinese. The Chinese tour players have an unbelievable work ethic. Um, to be able to see that and be involved with it um, was quite impressive. The other thing is too, we got to you know a couple of couple of rounds there. I got um, we got paired with uh, Nico Hearn and Peter O'Malley. So, you know, to be able to go inside the ropes, pull, you know, carry a bag and watch those guys play and work themselves around the golf course was um, was just experience that you just can't really pay for. Um, it also, you know, I guess put things in perspective in terms of, it was just another, you know, tick the box. Like I've done that. I don't really want to, you know, there was a lot of traveling, sleeping on, you know, sleeping on the couch at a hotel room because there'd be like four or five of us caddies that would just, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a business, right? We're trying to make, we're trying to make money doing it. So we want to keep our, our, you know, our costs down when we're traveling. So you sort of bunk into the same rooms and it was, it was awesome to do it. I mean, I ended up um, through, through that I did a, you know, I did six months of coaching over in China um, after meeting and talking to, to a few of the players over there and, and again, caddied and did a little bit of coaching and stuff in China, which was, which was really cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough slog if anyone's thinking about doing it. I mean, it's, you know, it don't, don't get me wrong. It's, you got to start from the bottom. And even though I was a PGA member and a, you know, a decent golfer, that doesn't really mean much. You got to get your breaks and, 
um, you know, if the player doesn't make any money, you don't really make any money either. So it's um, but awesome experience, that's for sure. So how did you you tie in? Obviously, being a being a, a PJ Pro as well on the bag of a player. Um, I'm assuming those players had coaches as well. So how did you stand there and be the caddy and not try not to? to try and fix the swing while you're out on the course or do any yeah, coaching? Again, I was fairly young. I hadn't had that at that point. That was straight out of my um, straight out of my uh, my traineeship, right? So I hadn't done a whole lot of coaching. All my coaching had been junior clinics and ladies clinics, so it wasn't like, you know, so that, that, was, that was fine. I was just more there for the experience to learn off the players and their routines and just to see what they do and see what other caddies do, see how, you know, see how the coaches get involved. Like, it was really cool sitting on a driving range and seeing – you know, coaches, you know, they've got the player, caddy, coach, you know, whoever else standing there and just to see how they interact with the players, how involved they are. But, you know, I didn't, you know, at that point I was so young, there wasn't a whole lot of knowledge with my coaching. So I was just happy to be sort of, you know, a fly on the wall and just there for the ride sort of thing. Sounds like a cool experience being able to see all that golf up close. It would have been, would have been awesome being able to travel a little bit and make some money. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's 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 something I would you know if someone's thinking about it, I I definitely do it. It gives you it's a bit of an eye opener too, just to watch you know because you, ultimately you're going to be on the range with guys like you know one of the Aussie Opens there. You know we were next to Adam Scott and Jason Day hitting balls and just watching them hit just just bullets after bullet after bullet and just go okay all right that's um <laughs> that's that's how it's done okay. It's um it would be a, a big blow to. The ego, I'm sure, as a golfer, to be able to sit next to those guys and just think, "Well, I thought I was pretty good, but I'm watching these guys hit shots, and they just—they don't sound the same. There's, there's, there's shots coming off my clubs, and there's shots coming off their clubs. It's just crazy. It's, it is crazy. It's 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 bizarre. So, tell me about coaching in China. You spent some time over there. You said six months over there in China. Where were you based, and how did you find that? So one of the uh, so one of the guys that we played with, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the names because they're you know because of the Chinese names. They're um, obviously it's not it's not John Smith. So um, yeah, one of the guys was he was just a caddy um, caddy coach, and we started talking. We actually played like I think we played all four rounds together because they shoot they shot the same scores like each day. And he started uh, you know he we just got talking. I think we had dinner a couple couple of the nights and um, he was he had a driving range in a place called Chengdu, which is right in the middle of, uh, it's the Sichuan province, so it's right in the middle of China. And he said, how about you come over and, you know, it's like a, it's a three-level driving range. Um, we've got a few of the tour players over there. There's a junior program. My wife is, uh, my, my, my wife is an exercise physio- physiologist, so she came over for a little bit of a stint as well. They were interested in, um, in working with her and just how, how the body works and how how that can um, that can help with the game of golf and yeah we went over there and um, you know it was it was it was interesting um, <laughs> it was interesting to say that the, the culture over there is completely different to ours um, what do I say I mean I guess I, I had a lot of fun over there I guess what happened was you know I was for the first little while we were with with Mark who was the um, the Aussie sort of Chinese guy that spoke both languages and would help us get around. And um, basically, there, it came a point where he left me. He said, look, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to have to stay just by, by yourself for a couple of weeks and just figure out how you're going to order lunches. And it was it was the hardest two weeks of my life. <laughs> hardest two weeks of my life. And I was like, yeah, at that point, I was kind of like, well, I'm missing a little bit of home. But again, it's just the work ethic, you know, like they're, they're just, they're a little bit, um, they're, they're still 
they just hit balls. They hit, you know, they've got that super strong work ethic where they're, you know, they're just hitting balls for 12 hours a day. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I spent three years over there myself, so a year and a half in Taiwan, year and a half in China, and it's a, it's a challenging space. And you talk about work ethic and how many golf balls they hit. I had a hell of a time getting them to practice properly. So they're all about how many how many balls they hit. They're all about how much time they spend on the range. But the quality of practice I found sometimes wasn't quite there with those players. Did you have any issues in that space with, with your golfers? They just go with what they've got. I found that they go with whatever talent and whatever technique and whatever whatever they've got, they go with and they just flog it, flog it to the end of the earth. You know what I mean? Like they just... I, there wasn't a whole it didn't for me it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of coaching and it was just more like advisory type of stuff and they were just like you know and a little bit stubborn in the way that it's like this is this is I've, I've got to this point with my goal swing and my current technique and this is what i'm going to go with and i'm just going to hone this thing in as much as i possibly can that, that's what i found i'm not sure if you sort of noticed the same sort of thing but like i yeah there was it was just like the right way to do this is to hit balls for 10 hours a day you know to, to putt for two hours and then just to go and play that, that that that's the sort of vibe that I got over there. Well, that was a problem I had because they they struggled to get access to the golf course over there because it's so expensive to play golf. So they would spend lots of time on the range, and that was that was an issue because um, they're hitting the same club, same shot over and over again. Um, from a swing technique point of view, the issue I had, especially in Taiwan, was the fact that they were all hitting forty yard hooks because mm. they were they consider themselves to be short hitters because they were Asian. And it just drove me nuts because they weren't long short hitters by far, but they were hitting – like we didn't have TrackMan back then. I was over there in 2008 and I think Flightscope had only just come out and we didn't have access to that sort of technology. But these guys, we put them on 3D at one point and they had like 120-degree shoulder turn and they're coming from, I would have guessed, seven, eight degrees inside out and massive curves on the ball flight. Huge, huge draws. It was like if you're hitting a draw, you're a golf pro. If you're hitting a fade, you're a, you're an amateur. Yeah, and this was it. Like I've I've got these good players saying, "Show me a, a fade," and they make this, do it. they make these big inside, big big over the top swing that they think they're making, and it's drawing five yards. And I said, "Well, that's the perfect ball flight. That's what you want. That's the that's the the, the so called draw that you need. You, you don't need to be curving at that far." Yeah. So. The other thing that's interesting over there is just the dinners as well. Like every single night, because we were coaching juniors and different people, and the parents went, "Yeah, like, we just." We were out for dinner every single night. Like these, these, you know, they're, they're very big on VIP over there, and the parents want to take you out for dinner. And you know, I, I remember, I, like we 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 had a place. Probably it was like a four minute. Um, it was a, probably a four minute bike ride from 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 where our place was to the driving range. And I said to the guys, "Look, look, just get me a bike. I'll ride to work." And they're like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Like I had a car come and pick me up and take me yeah. to the driving range because it was like you cannot be seen. Uh, on a push bike like that's just the, the coach cannot be seen on a push bike and i was like oh okay i'm okay with that but like you know like the, just the, the that sort of that, that vip thing and the dinners it was just uh yeah it's a different world it is um how'd you go with the chopsticks how'd you handle those still can't work them no idea <laughs> <laughs> we had noodles yesterday and i'm just yeah, i'm there with my wife i don't know just give me a fork that was that was the part that actually worked in my favour because I turned up there prior to Christmas in 2007, I think, for my job interview, which was essentially three days of playing golf there with the, with the, with the VIPs, and I could handle chopsticks straight up. And yeah, they were right. Actually, 
It's all this guy's actually pretty good with these, so that might have worked in my favour, I think. The one thing I learned was you've always got to clean the chopsticks. If they're not packaged ones, always give the chopsticks, chopsticks a clean before you yeah. use them. <laughs> and speaking of cleaning, how'd you go with the water? You didn't drink the water, did you? Anything silly like that? In no. that in on the toilet for three days? Can no. you challenge what I, yeah, I tell everyone this. I, I actually, I was the health, the cleanest and the healthiest I've been when I was in China. And when I came back to Sydney, um, that's when I got crook. I, I, mean, I went to like a, an engagement party with, you know, shepherd's pie, lasagnas, steaks, like all that sort of stuff. And when I, when I got back into like our food, that's when I, that's when I got sick. I was sick for like two or three days because my stomach just wasn't used to it. Yeah, for sure. It's certainly, uh, different type of type of food over there compared to here. Oh, so. absolutely. Okay, so you've obviously now back in Australia and you set yourself up as a, as a club pro. I'm curious to, to talk about that in some detail because um, essentially all the people I've had on the podcast so far have been full-time coaches, but you're not. You're a club pro, so you've got other, other roles that you have to fulfill at the golf club apart from just coaching. So talk me through essentially what your role is every day at the club you're at now um yeah so we basically the the titles change but it's just the the same sort of it's like for, for the old school it's just a it's a head pro gig um i still have my 38 hours within the within the shop or within the club um or in my office i don't do 38 hours behind the counter obviously um it's just managing the pro shop managing the team managing our um we got we've got a fairly impressive or quite a popular junior clinic so you know part of my role is coming in there was just to try and promote juniors and get get that thing going and you know juniors from the from like we're talking like 10 year olds all the way up until like that sort of encourage shield and eric apley and junior pennant sort of league so i look after that so you know i i i I have my role in the pro shop. We have, um, you know, clinics and programs and ladies clinics and all sorts of stuff that we do um, that, that I oversee. Um, and, you know, I, I fit in my coaching around that as well. Like I can do a little bit of coaching in my, in my hours because, you know, I've got a pretty cool um, young PGA member who's our general manager who, who gets the idea that if somebody has a lesson, then they're most likely invested in the golf club and they're going to they're gonna stick around. So, He's very good like that. Um, so that's that's kind of my role. There's a lot of, you know, there's been a fair bit of coaching lately. COVID has been good to us, uh, especially golf pros in Sydney. It's been quite popular. Um, so, you know, sorry, golf has been popular or it's, or it's taken a bit of a bit of a jump. So that's pretty much my role. We've got um, four coaches at Oakland's. So there's myself and, and three others and a trainee. So, um, you know, we just, we, we do our thing like any other pro shop. Um, and, and just do as much coaching as we can around our hours. So, how do you find getting that that balance between the roles? So, I'm assuming there's certain parts of your role that you enjoy more so than than all of them. Um, how do you find covering off on all that, all the areas that you have to as a club pro? Yeah, I guess. I I guess uh, what I think well. Because I've been at Oatlands now for a year and a half, and I've sort of I've tried. You know, you try to come out hard and strong, you know, as, as you know, in your first year or so. But I guess for me, it's trying to minimise those 12, 13 hour days, and not trying to get too many of those back to back, because you just can't sustain that for a long for a long amount of time. And like sometimes I don't mind doing it; it's great because it means you're coaching and working. But it's just about you know, it's about it's for me. It's about the coaching part of it, managing managing that. So starting you know, working in the pro shop and and, and 
you know, starting fields and doing all that sort of stuff. That's quite easy, but it's how much work you do after that and, you know, being being okay with saying no to people when, when it comes to coaching and, and just being, you know, like I, you know, I'm coaching till four o'clock and then I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to spend some time by myself and, and do my own thing. So, you know, it's, it's challenging, but I guess it's the same as every other head pro. Um, you know, you talk to these guys and that's, it's just about trying to, trying to manage your time, you know, efficiently and making sure that you just, yeah, you keep yourself, um, yeah, just don't do too much. Just don't, just, just don't let those 12, 13 hour days rack up on you. Otherwise, you're just going to be, it's just going to be cooked at the end of it all. Yeah. Cause that is like the, 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 pitfalls i suppose of being a club pro is you can do especially in summertime when the you got long days you can do some awful awful long hours which can't be good for you personally yeah it's not good but at the end yeah i always try to bring it back to you know just i'm I'm so grateful for the job that i that i've got and what i do i love it you know 12 hours in in my role is a lot better than eight hours in an office doing something i don't want to do so you know what that's i'm happy to do it no, that's that's good. So it sounds like you've got some pretty good support from the club, which is obviously a challenging space for some time. So for the club pros that are out there tuning in to the podcast, if they're having issues with boards or um, clubs in general saying that they're spending too much time coaching or too much time on the golf course, any advice for them to maybe show the value of being outside of the pro shop? Advice to the general managers? Or, or the to board. the pros, so how can they present themselves to the club to say this actually benefits the club? Me being being outside the pro shop sometimes. I guess uh, I don't know how you could sell that. Like I mean, my advice to the golf pro is to have a conversation. You know, sit down and have a conversation with your board and your um and your general manager and realize that this is you know you, you are a golf pro. Um, as I said before, if, if people are having golf lessons, it's, you know, we did a, a seminar, I think, with, with the PGA where it's, it's proven that people will stick around and they will stick it because they've invested into the golf club, right? If they're getting lessons, it's not cheap. So they want to improve themselves. They want to improve their golf game and their trust in the golf pro. So sell that as, as a, as a, you know, as a, use that as your selling point and just be like, people will stick. If, they, if they're having golf lessons and I'm out there talking to people, Talking about their golf game, invested in their invested in what they're doing, then that's only going to be beneficial for the golf course. And I, the worst thing I see, like having head professionals that are just behind the counter, forty hours a week, and you know a couple of hours coaching here and there. I mean, there's just no my my time is just not it's just not valuable behind the counter. There is a time where I need to do it, and I've got to be there, and that's fine. But um, you know, it's just it's out there talking to members doing lessons, doing group clinics, getting the juniors involved. That's that's the best, you know, and that's what you've got to try and get across to the board and, and your general manager. As I said before, though, you know, I've got to be my, like, I'm, we have such a great board at Oatlands and such a supportive board and they understand, but also, you know, as I said, I'm sure we'll get into mentors and, you know, we were talking about Richard got us together, but, you know, Sam Howe, who's our general manager, who's relatively young, but he's a PGA member. He totally gets it. Um, and he gives us the freedom to, or gives me the freedom to sort of, to do, um, to sort of go with it and run the ball and do, do what I need to do to get these members sort of, you know, staying around and, and renewing at the end of the year. Makes sense. I think it's important as a as a club pro to, to keep some um records of what your clients are doing and if they're having lessons they are they are rejoining and keeping data on what your 
bringing to the table from a from a golfer perspective. So you can actually give the board some hard facts and say, well, this person had lessons and they bought spent this much money at the club, blah 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 blah. Um, but it can be challenging space, and I'm certainly as a, I think some club, club pros will find that tough out there to to find that evenness between spending a time behind the counter and in, in the pro shop with the golfers coming through and also spending time outside of the pro shop. Challenging oh, space. For sure, for sure. Now, well, let's bring up let's bring up Richard now because um, he was, as you said, he was the one that brought us together. He sent me a, a, a quick text saying that you were someone I should definitely have on the podcast. So... He's obviously doing some work with you. Um, talk me through how that came about and how you've set up that with Richard. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Richard Woodhouse. Uh, he's <laughs> he's still my highest, my highest viewed podcast. Oh, of course podcast. he is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a machine. He's awesome. Oh, look, so how it all came about, he, he just he, um, he did a... He did something through the PGA, one of those ACE programs. I think it was through through lockdown. I was doing a fair bit of that sort of stuff online, um, just trying to just trying to stay active and trying to learn as much as possible. And he did a presentation, and I was just I, to be honest, I hadn't heard of him, and um, I, I was just blown away by the way he spoke and what he was all about, what he's you know just the way he approaches everything, not only just. Yeah, he's obviously an unbelievable coach, but just a person, just how you know how full on he is and how motivated he is to, to be better. And he, he sort of, I think at the end of it, he said, he put his mobile down and said, I'm happy to talk to anyone. Like, if you want to reach out, go for it. Or his email. And I sort of toyed around with the idea for a little bit, thinking, am I going to, uh, am I going to reach out to this guy? And then I think I called him or emailed him and he got back to me straight away. And then we, um, we hit it off from there and we've started like a, it's basically like a mentor program. He mentors me. Um, I've been working with him for, I don't know, four or five months now. Um, it's quite structured. You know, we have, you know, we, we have a couple of Zoom calls, um, proper Zoom calls, uh, a month. You know, I can text him or I can call him basically whenever I want. Um, and we just, we just talk everything coaching. He talks about what he does. He talks like, I'll, I'll show him some of my students. I might, you know, I might bring up a golf swing where, I, you know, I might've been struggling with, you know, you get those guys where you're like, I just, I just can't, I can't seem to help this guy. It's not happening. And he'll give me his thoughts. So it's been um, an awesome experience to be honest. And something I'm just going to keep, keep doing. That's uh, yeah, it's really good. It's, it's something that's, I don't know whether it's unique to golf, but, over my twenty plus years in the golf industry, I've always found the high profile and the good coaches are really open to being contacted and to talk about coaching. And Richard's certainly top of the tree in Australia when it comes to to coaches. But they've always been open to people getting in touch and having conversations. But I think is really powerful for a coach coming through. And um, it sounds like you've you've hit the jackpot there, getting time to spend with him yeah i mean look it's I, i'm amazed at how much he's willing to share to be honest with you um and I, yeah I, I don't know it's just i came from a i always tell the story like i came from when i was doing my traineeship there was you know or, or not so even beforehand there was the pro and the assistant pro and it was always like those two guys were in direct competition with each other and they'd work, you know, like a meter apart from each other all the time. It was like they would, they'd never share, they'd never share information, and they'd always, you know, like, oh, this is what he's doing with his goal swing, or you know, I would have done this differently, blah blah blah. And I just think it's to like for me, you know, we speak about, you know, Brent Dale. Like I, I don't, um, you know, I can call him. I, you know, 
we do our time together. I don't see him a whole lot anymore. We just run into each other whenever we do. But guys like that and other guys that we can, I can just call and just talk about, you know, the problems that we're facing or what we're going through or, you know, what, what did you do in this area of, you know, what, what it, whatever it might be and share information. And I think it's really good. Um, and, you know, Richard's just on another, another level, right? Like he's just in a, in a different world. But the other thing is too, I would, you know, I know you're going to ask me some, some questions at the end, but it's like mentors. I've always been big on mentors throughout my whole life and not so much within golf, but just people like, you know, family and friends and people that I look up to that are a little bit older and that, that are killing it in their field. And I've always been, you know, find somebody that's got what you want and reach out to him and say, hey, like, how do you get there? And that's basically, that's basically Richard, right? Like he's doing what I would like to be doing in five, 10, 15 years, right? So it's like, What's the best way for me to to get there? It was a bit by talking to the guy that's got what I got that's that's got what I want. So that's kind of how that that whole thing sort of came about. Just makes makes common sense. And my 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 own personal theory is the if with those guys that share information, though, so high profile coaches that do it really well that, that share it, is the fact that I'm happy to give you my information because I still I'm going to be able to coach it just as well, or if not higher than you do anyway. So I haven't got a problem sharing information with you. I think those guys that are maybe not quite as secure in their own coaching skills might be a little bit more scared to share information. But I think those high profile guys are pretty good at it. Absolutely, yeah. So, mate, that's really, really cool. So um, definitely thanks, Richard, for getting us in touch and um, for obviously spending time with you and helping you with your coaching. So really, really cool there. So how have you set your coaching up where you are now? What kind of programs do you do? How do you how do you structure your, your coaching there? Yeah, so um, basically, um, so in terms of just my one-on-one or, you know, one-on-one coaching, it's, you know, everything is, um, is video analysis. We do have, you know, flight scope and, and whatever else there, but we um, basically, I'm big on, you know, we, I use coach now. So um, if I was to do, it was to do an hour lesson, uh, we would go out there, we would work on the goal swing. I'm, you know, I'll have my tripod set up uh, with my phone and I'll have my iPad out there and, um, you know, which will have a bank of the person's swing. So for example, if somebody's, um, if somebody has had a lesson before and they're, they're, they're returning for one, I, I'm very big on comparisons. I like to compare to tool plays as well. Uh, I know some people do and don't like to do that. The reason I do that is it's just because this is what, you know, I, and when I say tour plays, I'll use the perfect swings, for example, you know, like Adam Scott's obviously one that, that we will compare people to. And I just think it's a good visual. I put it on my massive iPad and go, here's you, here's Adam Scott. Um, let's try and get as close to as close to him as possible, keeping in mind that we've got to be aware that his body moves a lot better than yours, or maybe it doesn't. You know, how close can we get to that? And, you know, at the end of the session, it's all about um, staying in contact with that person through Coach Now. You know, they get a, a full wrap-up of the lesson um, through the Coach Now app, so it'll be their goal swings. You know, every now and then when I feel like in the lesson they've got a hold or they've got a grip of what they're doing or what, what we're trying to achieve, on my phone I'll click record, film a couple of those swings and go, here's the one that we you nailed it, and keep that on file and go, this is, this is now our base, you know, for, for moving forward. Um, and that's that's how we do that's how we do one on one lessons basically. That's really cool. I the the comparison thing, as you said, can tend to polarize coaches sometimes. And mm. I've gone certainly gone through that that comparison to tool players uh, way of doing it. And um, I think it has its good points and bad points as well. But 
personally, I'm big on comparing them to themselves. Yeah. Because as you said, you've got the average player. They can't swing like Adam Scott, and it, it, it won't ever be the same as Adam Scott. So I think sometimes you can um, scare people off, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll always say, you know, at the start, like, look, just, you know, if it's Barry who plays off 12, like, here's your goal swing compared to Adam Scott. Now, keep in mind, I'll always say, Adam, keep in mind, mate, our goal isn't to look like this. Do you know what I mean? But our goal is to try and get a couple of key positions from him compared to you and understand, well, this is why you're hitting massive slices and this is why he can do whatever he wants with the golf ball. So, you know, I always try to make sure that the person knows, hey, this isn't you know, this isn't the goal. You know, this is just – and it's also pretty cool too. People get a kick out of it as well. And I guess too, it's reading the room too. I know a lot of people look at it and, and I can tell by the, you know, by the look on their face, I can do the fake, mate, do not compare me to Adam Scott. Okay, let's get rid of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I completely understand that. And as I said, I've, 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 I've compared them to two players as well, but I find sometimes comparing them to themselves and showing them how far they've come. Over 100%, the course of, yeah, yeah. The coaching can, can certainly work. So I'm curious, obviously now we're in such a connected age with apps and being able to connect with your with your students and you use coach now there's plenty of good contact apps out there so you said you send them a bit of a wrap-up of their their coaching session through coach now how else do you use coach now to keep in touch with your students so for, for example like um going back to you know me you know that, that, that goal of being similar to richard and you know, coaching at a high performance sort of level yeah, I've got a guy now that's just travelled. One of the guys, Brad Doherty, that I'm coaching, he's just travelled down to Victoria. He'll try and pre-qualify for the events down there. Um, so we've been working with him for, sorry, I've been working with him for the last year or so. So he will, you know, if there's any issues, if he's on the driving range, he can film himself. You know, he can just set up a camera and film himself and send me the, you know, and send me his uh, his swing through the coach now with a few different, you know, a few different um, comments as to what's going on. The ball's going right, the ball's going left. I can't get it to go right to left, whatever it might be. Uh, and then we can use that because through Coach Now and that app, we've got a full library of his golf swing and what we've been working on. And we've got the best swing. So we've got we've got footage of him just flushing it on the driving range and going, well, here's you, you know, on the driving range of Victoria, uh, wherever you might be, and here's you on the driving range at Oatlands when you were flushing it. And maybe we can see the clear, clear differences between the two. So that platform there and the ability to just, I mean, I know you can do that via text and probably a whole bunch of other apps also, but it's got that full library of their golf swing. So if if you've got somebody that you've been working with for a year, two years or whatever, it's not like you you film a video and it just goes into the wilderness and that's the end of it. Like it's got that library of golf swings. There it is. And as you said before, it's like, here's where you started. Here's here's your first swing. And now we can compare to how far you've got. And that's a selling point for yourself, right? (laughs) You know, you've done the work, of course, to get yourself to that position, but I've helped you along the way. And, you know, sometimes if things go, if things go pear-shaped with your goal swing, you're not hitting it um, too well, which is inevitably, it's always going to happen, right? Um, it's like, pull it back. Let's have a look at where you start and look where you are now. So I think it's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah. I don't think it's great. I think if you're a coach and you aren't getting into that online tech where you can communicate with your students, you're selling yourself short. Like I'm coming from junior days where there was an old VHS video on a TV trying to see yourself. And then um, the huge step forward for me as a coach was being able to put their swing onto a CD-ROM and give them a, a CD-ROM to take home. So, yeah, I think you were talking about this with Dale on, on your podcast, but he was to, I used to watch my coach. He had the, like, the little handheld sort of camcorder type thing. You'd set it up, 
fill me walk back you know into the process yeah. which was 100 meters away from the bloody driving range hook it up to there and i was just thinking when's he going like this is this is all too hard yeah it's now, so it's, easy these days it is yeah you just grab your phone and snap a shot. So exactly yeah, right, it's yeah. it's certainly a changing space. So if you aren't getting involved in those online apps, you're, you're selling yourself short. Absolutely. As a, as a coach, now you've hit me up for a second guess. If your wife's an, an exercise physiologist, I might have to get her on the podcast as well to come right. and chat. She'd love to. Um, I have a few that come on there. Obviously, people tune the podcast would know Scotty comes on quite often. He's an exercise physiologist, but right. um, happy to get anyone on my there. So. Obviously, if you have that expertise inside of your own house, how do you apply fitness to your golf coaching students? Um, I guess it's um, again. This is this is where my work with um, with Richard has sort of come in because I, I, I guess I, I hit the snooze button on a lot of that stuff with my coaching and got sort of got a little bit too uh, too bogged down in in technical aspects of the golf swing, but like. You know, what Richard has really emphasized the idea of just being aware of how the body works and what the limitations are for, for your body. And, you know, the, obviously the, the, the TPI course that I've done and you get an understanding of, of how the body works and, and, and what the capabilities are. I guess one, you know, one thing I would say, which I've learned along the way and which I never did as a young coach was like, there are limitations to what people can do um, with their body. Um, a lot of the time, my questions at the start of the lesson you know, revolve around what do you do as a nine to five? Like, what are you doing all day? Because what if somebody's sitting on a, you know, you know behind a computer and sitting on a chair all day, they're not an athlete. So their, their bodies can only sort of move a certain way. And the other thing is like, you know, what, what else you might get a young guy that's playing off a handicap at 10 or 15. And, you know, you've got to understand what do you, well, he's a rugby player. Okay. Well, he's, he's got sore shoulders. He can't rotate his shoulders properly. So there's limitations to what he can do in the backswing. So it's helped me with that. And it's also, you know, Steph's got the, she's got the information to, um, you know, like a guy can't, whatever it, whatever it might be, he's got a sore lower back. Like what sort of exercises can we give this person to, to get themselves um, a little bit more match match ready, I suppose. Okay, Steph, if you're tuning into this podcast, <laughs> you're, you're she now on my hit list. She's my, she's my number one fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm fan. I'd be keen to have a chat. Certainly, obviously, keen to get experts in all fields of, of sport coming onto the podcast. So, you are now on my shortlist. You've been crossed off here. So, there you're on you my list nice to, to, to come and have a chat. So, mate, talk me through some socials. So, you've got a, a fairly significant presence out there on social media. There's some YouTube clips floating around of stuff out there. It's a challenging space sometimes to put yourself out there as a, as a coach and share your. Your, your coaching strategies, so to speak. So talk me through how you use social media. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I, I use it as something that I understand that this is the way that the world's going and I never know, you know, I don't have the biggest following. Um, but I understand that I need to keep going with social media because I don't know what doors that's going to open up in the future. Uh, I, I listened to your, actually just this morning, I listened to your podcast with Richard. Um, so I don't know whether that was a good thing or, or a bad thing. It was a bit <laughs> overwhelming, but he's, his social media obviously is just, it's it, he's awesome and he's really good at it. And every time you open Instagram, his little icon comes up and he's got something up there and he's constantly going. So 
I try to keep my keep it updated and, and keep to, keep doing as much stuff as I possibly can. The golf club that I work at Oatlands is really good. We you know we, we basically do a video each week, so every week a newsletter goes out to to our members. Um, and one of our golf pros is responsible for putting together a sixty second you know to two minute video, some tip or how to play a hole or whatever it might be. So that's where that YouTube stuff sort of comes into play. But it's just you know like a lot of the, the kids the 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 young guys that I coach and even even some of the older guys, they get a kick out of seeing themselves up there on, on Instagram and I like to, you know, just show people what I'm doing and what I'm working with. It's been I've had some good feedback so so far. It is it's challenging, um, you, know, you, you know. As I said, I, I think it's awesome what you're doing with this podcast because you you sort of get caught up in listeners and followers and what the numbers are. And I might put something up on Instagram and it's like, okay, how many likes and views am I getting? And I'm not, you know, the first thing I'm doing in the morning is opening my phone and checking that. So I've got to be careful with that sort of stuff and not get too bogged down. But it's just one of those things that I, I believe you've just got to do as a coach. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess you, you don't have to do it, but I think it's very, very important. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Is there a channel that you don't like using or is there a, is there a favorite way of getting your, your, your coaching out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I use Instagram. I don't, I've got Instagram. I don't go on Facebook um, as, a, as a rule. Like it's, I have my Instagram feeds through to my Facebook page, which is fine. I don't use Twitter. Uh, I think Facebook is just, um, you know, for me, it's just a bit too toxic and a bit, there's, there's just a lot of stuff going on there. So my Instagram is basically what I use um, and then everything else feeds through there. So, Are you a, a Snapchat or a nope. TikTok person or any of that kind of stuff these days? That's where everyone seems to be headed with the Mate, with I went on social TikTok. Media. I got so addicted to TikTok. My wife, you know, speaking about my wife, I'd be on the, on the lounge on my, on my phone on TikTok and she'd come in and have a conversation with me, leave, and I didn't even know she was in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, so it was like, that didn't last too long. I had to get rid of it. And they, it just seems to be something brand new coming out all the time, and it's 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 a it's a hard space sometimes, and I kind of think sometimes you just need to choose a channel or choose two or three channels for um, sure and just focus on that as opposed to trying to cover everything. Yeah, I think what's changed for me too is I've got my personal Instagram, which has got anyone and everyone on there, and then I've got my Jeremy Ward golf um, page, which I follow a bunch of people on there. But the people I follow on there, it's all golfers or it's all motivational stuff or it's all stuff that's going to help me. There's no trash on there, you know, so – that's what's been good for me, you know, being able to just open my open my golf one, and it's it's just full of golf coaches, golf pros, and then inspirational stuff for me. So it's not, you know, it's 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 quite you you can manage it the right way, I reckon. Yeah, as I said, it's a it's a challenging space, but you have to you have to kind of filter out some of the the crappy stuff that comes through it because there's exactly plenty right. of crap, and it's easy crappy, right? Like you just click the unfollow button and. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's um. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird space, and it can be a cesspool sometimes. So it can be challenging oh, for sure. So, mate, I've got some few questions I like to throw to all the guests that come on the podcast. So we might throw throw those out to you. So, if there's a golf coach starting out, someone brand new in in the coaching industry, what advice would you have for them? Um. Yeah, I've been thinking about this one. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I the advice I would give is just, you know, don't stop, do not stop learning. Just just keep going, just learn as much as you possibly can. And if you're a golf coach and that's what you want to do, surround yourself with as many golf coaches as possible. Um, that's what I'm trying to do with myself now. Surround, you know, we've spoken about Richard. 
Um, I had a great conversation with um, with Dean Kinney, who you probably you probably know as well. He's, he's a friend of mine that I haven't reached out to forever, but just surround you. And again, I'll be doing a whole lot of work with him, like I'm doing with Richard. Um, it's surround yourself with with these guys. You know what I mean? And, and as I said before, it's like find someone who has what you want, you know, and don't be afraid to go after that person, track them down and start to learn from them because they're doing stuff that you're not doing. And, um, you know, nine times out of 10, um, they're more than happy to talk to you, you know, so don't be afraid to learn as much as you possibly can. Get out there, reach out to these guys. Um, and I, I guess the other thing too is not being, not, don't be intimidated by, you know, if, if you've got an idea um, and if you've got a theory or you've got something that you, you your instincts is telling you that that's the right thing, go for it and do it. You know, my younger coaching group, my younger coaching days, I was so shy and so like, um, I guess intimidated by other coaches that if I had an idea, I was like, I don't, I don't want to go with it just in case it's wrong. Like use your instincts. And if you think it's right, have a crack, trust your instincts. I love that. I think that's um, really cool advice. And uh, just a warning there for Mr. Woodhouse, Jeremy's hunting you down. So <laughs> watch your back. Yeah, I'm coming for it. I told you, I've said I'm going to spend some time up, up with him. Yeah, I want to do his, um, I want to do his 3 a.m. gym session. That's my, um, that's my goal. Unbelievable. The guy's nuts. The guy is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Doing, I love it. Doing stuff at that time. But so, Richard, watch your back. You've got someone hunting, <laughs> hunting you down, which I think is really cool. So, mate, advice for golfers. What would you say to the average club player out there? What should they be doing? Getting lessons. Um, that's, is, probably, that's a pretty common answer that comes through. Yeah, I, I get, this is the topic that we've been, you know, we've got our club championships on at the moment and pennants and stuff like that that we're talking about. I guess, you know, when you get to a certain, it seems to me, I'd be interested to know what you think about this. It seems to me with golfers, amateur golfers, they get to a certain level and they just stop learning and stop getting coached or stop their sessions, you know, like it's exactly what we were talking about before where it's, you know, if you were playing soccer or basketball or whoever for a, whatever, you say you're playing basketball for the Sydney Kings, those guys don't stop learning and trying to get better. And they've got proper training sessions and they, you know, like if they're training from four to six, they're there from four to six training hard, right? And then they can goof around afterwards. So if you're an amateur golfer, like try, try to get yourself out. Of, like golf is so social. Um, and it's like, I know this because I got caught, in, caught up in it myself when I in my trainee days where it's like you get there, you might, you know, you might have this, three-hour window where you're going to practice and, you know, next minute you it's two and a half hours into it and you've done nothing but talk to talk to the members and goof around and, and do a little bit of putting and chipping. Um, it's just focus on, you know, keep getting keep getting coached um, and, and just try to have a little bit more of a, a structure around um, around your practicing practicing routines. And, and, and that is, is something that I've, I've really strikes me as weird for golfers because, as you said, they don't, they don't train. Yeah. As you said, like a team sport has structured training sessions every week in, inside of season. So they're actually doing something every single week. And yeah. the average player traditionally comes through his half-hour coaching session and thinks he's going to fix the world inside of that half-hour lesson. Yeah, and- it's, it's like keep, keep going with your tuition. And again, I don't want to talk about Richard too much, but like what, one thing I've learned from him, he, he talks a lot about intention and attention. You've probably heard him talk about this before, but it's like, okay, so you've got that three-hour window when you're going to come to the golf course. What do you intend on doing with your time? specifically chipping okay so it's chipping but what part of chipping is it so where does your so what your intention is to get to the golf course and work on your chipping 
particularly that 30-yard pitch shot or, you know, a bunker shot or whatever it is? And then where do you have to focus your attention on that specific sort of area of your game to get better? Do you know what I mean? And just having clear, clear ideas around what you're doing when you get to the golf course. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, so is there anything that you would change in your journey so far? Is there anything that if you had the chance to go back and change, would you would you would you change anything? No, I don't think so. I mean, changing, yeah. I, it's a. I guess most people say this: you, you, to change something means I regret something, and I don't regret anything in the past. I, I guess, sort of. The, the, I guess I wish I had done what I'm doing now ten years ago. I guess that's it, you know where I'm reaching out to other golf pros and trying to learn as much as I can, trying to improve myself. But yeah, it is what it is. Trying to you know. Try to tell twenty-five-year-old Jeremy Ward to to do more um <laughs> to do more schoolwork. He's not listening, so it is what it is. I just wish I maybe had to start a little bit earlier, but here we are. No, I get that. I've got no problem with that answer whatsoever. It's a common one on on the podcast, so no, yeah. that's fine. Um, kind of this question you've answered a bit over the over the journey. You you, you essentially after KDV Golf, you're going to give Richard off the off the pedestal. But <laughs> um, five years time, where do you see yourself? Um, yeah, I, I guess, um, I'm trying, I don't know, I'm trying to figure that out. I do, I, I'm really enjoying working with, um, with like elite players and good players. And, you know, I'm coaching a few, few trainees at the moment and a couple of tour players and a lot of our, you know, our pennant guys come and see me. So sort of scratch markers and I, I really enjoy that. I think it, it keeps my coaching interesting and fun. So I'd love to be able to do something like that in the future um whether that's still in my role at oatlands you know as a head pro role and doing that coaching or it's full time um i guess the biggest part of my journey at the moment is being is setting myself up to be the best possible coach i can be so that i have opportunities later on in life you know again i don't want to i know there's going to be a lot of oatlands members listening to this so i don't want to sound like i'm you know i'm setting myself up to leave because that's certainly not the case but it's it's you know just I'd love to be able to coach full time at that elite level, um, but I, I know I've got a long way to go, and I've got to make sure that everything you know I tick all the boxes before I get there. So you know, I guess to answer the question, it's kind of like I'd love to be in a position where I'm coaching, you know, coaching elite players and you know tournament players, basically. Really cool. It's certainly a good goal to have, and I've had I've had similar goals over the journey as well to be coaching those high performance players. It's um, improved as as a coach personally. Improved me a hell of a lot coaching those good players because absolutely because um, they can do exactly what you tell them to do, and you work out pretty quickly if the stuff you're coaching is not right or not because oh, they can't sure. do it, and the ball flight doesn't change. So no, that's um, so it's the same issues there. And again, you're throwing heaps of information at us today but is there any particular places you go to learn more things or to improve your skills i guess use the i mean one thing i use the pga as much as you possibly can um and you know i think that tpi course with you know the, the tightless performance you know that course is a, that's unbelievable to do as well but i mean it's again if you just uh, in terms of you, you will find the platforms in terms of like education and how to do it. I'm sure you'll you, you get out there, and, but just again, surround yourself with with coaches. That to, to surround yourself with the best coaches, and they'll uh, they'll tell you where to go. And you've and that that's that's where I learn most of my things by just you know if I tune in on on a, on another coach that's that's killing it. Um, that's yeah, that, that's the best way to learn for for me. Like it, I like it a lot, mate. Where can people find you? What what are your social media handles? You said you're on Instagram. You've got some stuff on YouTube. Give me some, just, some handles. Yeah, just, yeah I'm just on Instagram, Jeremy Ward Golf. 
click on there, click a follow. That's it, mate. We'd love that. I'll put some links in the show notes, everyone. So we'll, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the YouTube, will... the YouTube stuff's all there. But like as I said, most it all surround, it's all surrounded by Instagram. It starts with there, and then everything filters from there. So if you find me on Instagram, um, yeah, that's how that's how you'll uh, you'll see me. I will put some links in the show notes, everyone. So, mate, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, you coming in and having a chat to me. It's always good to talk to good coaches and learn new things, and um, you've been very generous with your time and sharing your information, so I appreciate you coming in. No, no worries, mate. And, again, um, good luck with it. Eh? I'm loving what you're doing. It's awesome stuff, and, uh, you know, good luck in the future. And if you need any um, – you know, if you need my wife's number, I'll let you know. Sounds good to me. Thanks, <laughs> mate. All right, good stuff. Thanks.